what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today we are looking at Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And today, discussing that with us is a buddy of mine and another classmate at the Memphis School of Preaching, Caden Mallory. Caden is the preacher at the Springer Church of Christ in Hohenwald, Tennessee. Caden, would you please introduce yourself to our audience, uh, if you will? Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be able to, to go through this study together. Um, again, my name is Caden Mallory. I'm at the Springer Church of Christ, and I've been here since since about June. I started there uh, in March while I was still in school, so I was on on and off. But um, I'm married. I've been married for almost two years to my lovely wife, Grace, and we are excited to be here to work for the Lord here at the Springer Church of Christ in Tennessee. That's awesome. And uh, and I first got to know each other. I mean, he he came to school, but then almost immediately after he got there, we had a a campaign in Alabama that, like everyone who went on that trip, grew a little bit closer. Uh, So good times, good times. As mentioned earlier, we're looking at Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, just to give a brief background of what we're looking at. Uh, I like to start in the previous chapter in verse 28, and I'm just going to give a quick uh, kind of breakdown of of where we're at. Uh, Jacob, uh, the father of Joseph, has died. In verses 28 through 33, we have the pledge, and then you go into 50, the first three verses of 50, you have the preparation. Uh, four through six has the permission uh, as far as what they can do with his body. Then you have the procession in verses seven uh, through 14. And then 15 through 21 is identified as the pardon. And that's what we're going to study today. I marked uh, just next to the title uh, of this section. Uh, the English Standard Version has the, the heading God's Good Purpose, and I just put Genesis 37 next to that uh, as a cross-reference because that's where uh, Joseph was sold into slavery slavery by his brothers and, and went into Egypt, uh, rose through the ranks in Potiphar's house, ended up being sent to prison, and then rose through the ranks of uh, Pharaoh's house uh, became second in the land only to Pharaoh himself during seven prosperous uh, years. They stored up uh, as much food as possible to prepare for a seven-year famine. And in the midst of that, Joseph brings his family to Egypt to spare them. Uh, and uh, they live uh, in Egypt essentially until Jacob dies. And then we pick up where we're at now after the death of Jacob. And the brothers who sold him into slavery are now beginning to question their fate at the hands of Joseph. So we'll go ahead and pick up in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. What do you have there, Caden? Of course, looking at this, this whole uh, event, we might think of, you know, the providence of God. And as we'll get on later on in this this section, we'll be able to see that. Joseph even says it himself, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But right now, the brothers, what are they thinking? 
they don't know what's going to happen. Their father had just died, and they think that Joseph, that Jacob, rather, was telling Joseph, you know, not to harm them. But now he's gone. Who's going to tell them not to? Because they knew he had the power to do anything that he wanted to to them because he was second in command in Egypt. But I have verse 15, especially verse 15. I've broken it down just, just in this simple phrase, the the mind of the brothers. And what I want to look at just knowing verses 16 and 18 or through 18 is the action of the brothers. Before we get there, they had to have this thought first, which is verse 15, the mind of the brothers. This lets us into their mind. This lets us see what they were thinking. Perhaps they, they thought maybe he'll do what we did to him. He'll treat us in a way that we deserve. So I have various places in verse 15. They thought they thought that Joseph did nothing for the sake of their father, Jacob. They thought it says at the King James Version it says, certainly he may repay us. They thought that they were that this was going to happen. They knew Joseph had the power to do anything that he wanted to to them. So this verse really could, we can see that their mind we can it's almost lets us into their mind seeing that they they were guilty they were ashamed of what they did and that brings me into another thought of verse fifteen their guilt and I have a, in my Bible some notes next to that verse I have guilt is a heavy weight guilt is something that that weighs on us very heavily and it's understandable that after Jacob was gone that the ten brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery would be afraid that he might take vengeance on them, even though in the past he had assured them that he would take care of them and he will do that again. But it's almost the case where they couldn't forgive themselves. They knew that they had done this awful thing to Joseph, sold him into slavery, and they knew that they lied to his father, to their father, about him being slain and, and torn apart by a wild beast. It was hard to forgive themselves, and sometimes it's that way for us. Sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves. God will forgive us. He tells us exactly how he'll do. We can see it through this word picture in the Old Testament, how he he will get rid of that sin. He will throw it far behind him, and it will land in the bottom of the sea and break into pieces. He will remember it no more, but sometimes the trouble is we have a hard time letting go. We have a hard time getting over that sin. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But we see Jesus has forgiven us, but we must let go ourselves. And that's the case here. Joseph had forgiven them. He was glad to see them. He was glad to know that he could take care of them. But still their guilt was weighing on them heavily. They almost as if they couldn't forgive themselves. It reminds me of what we can read in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, talking about if we want to make application to this ourselves, we might have this same type of guilt, but Jesus says, come unto me, come to me, all ye that labor. If we are, if we have this guilt, if we have this heavy thing on us, he says, he'll take it. His yoke is easy. His yoke is light. We can bear it. Jesus has taken that off of us, but it's our, it's up to us to let Jesus take it. So that's what I can see here in verse 15, especially they thought, you know, what am I going to do? 
what are we going to do? Joseph is going to repay us. And they thought in their minds that would be just. But we'll see. Joseph is going to say, no, I'm glad that, that all this happened for a reason. God meant it for good. And so he will he will show them that he is he's forgiven them and that he is going to take care of them. That's what I have. Verse 15. Yeah. Thoughts. Uh, thoughts an appropriate word. That's that's a good word to look at. It. And I've underlined that phrase. It may be that Joseph will hate us. I've circled that word may because I think that's important. Because uh, it, it alludes to what you're saying as far as everything that they're thinking at this point is just is just in their head. Uh, and I put Genesis 37 verse 4 next to that phrase and just put a simple note that said their hatred for him was real, but Joseph's hatred for them was imagined. Uh, so so they're hate, they hated, uh, and that's where Genesis 37 4 makes the point that they hated Joseph. So they had real hatred for him. And I think you're right. The guilt that they had in, in that caused them to think that Joseph was going to treat them the same way that they treated him, uh, which is a testament to Joseph's character. Uh, it's based on the effect of their actions, not anything Joseph had done. And you look at it from that standpoint. For years, uh, they have lived in Egypt, uh, being provided for by Joseph, um, being able to, to shepherd their flocks in peace. and just uh, I guess the what I'm trying to say is Joseph has made it abundantly clear that he held no ill will against them. Uh so the ill will that they they thought he would have uh generated in their minds. I also put next to verse 16. This is the first time we read about them admitting their guilt. Uh and that's kind of understandable because if you go to chapter 45 starting in verse 5, Joseph basically tells them not to talk about it. It seems like they kind of wanted to to address it at that time. And Joseph made the point that uh, they didn't uh, need to, or, or he didn't want to talk about that He had forgiven them and, and all was good. But uh, this is the first time they actually came to him uh, and, and started to address uh, the actual issue. And many commentators will look at that phrase. Uh, Your father gave this command before he died uh, as a false statement. Uh, in other words, they're trying to appeal to Jacob's to, to Joseph's love uh, love for Jacob uh, in order to to sway his actions. I don't necessarily think this is a a false statement. I think uh, one, and I don't. I guess, for lack of a better term, I don't know how you can tell your father that. Joseph was torn apart by wild animals, bring back his coat. And then when you bring him to Egypt and he's reunited with the son that he thought was dead, I, I don't think you can not, you can avoid the conversation of what really happened. If, if that makes sense. So I don't think Jacob did not know about this. I think he had known about this. I think that he gave them the, the brothers, the advice to go to Joseph and seek forgiveness uh, after he has died. It seems to imply that Jacob probably thought the same thing that the brothers thought. Jacob thought that maybe when he was gone, that there was going to be no one to protect uh, the other brothers. And, and so I think this is fatherly advice. I think it's legit. And I think that uh, Jacob really did uh, send them to do so 
And the reason I, I think that is because you, you go to their statement where they say, please forgive the transgressions, the servant of the God of your father. Uh, I don't think you, I think there's humility that the brothers are having at this moment. I don't think you taint it with a lie. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. So uh, they come in uh, and make that. You have anything else on 15, 16 before we move on? Yeah, just going along what you said, uh, many say that, of course, in studying for this, they said, well, was this the truth? Was this was this a lie that they talked about? But I agree with you. I, I believe that they could have gone to the father saying, after you have, after you're gone, what if Joseph tries to do this to us? Can you tell him not to do that to us? Just because they were trying to keep themselves safe. But of course, Joseph wouldn't, wouldn't have done that anyway. But he just wanted, I, I believe that, of course, Jacob wanted Joseph to, you know, he loved him, but he, he loved all, all of his sons. But he wanted Joseph to to be correct, to stay that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I, one more idea on verse 16. Uh, the New King James says they sent messengers to Joseph. Um, I've I read some things where it said it was either ben, they spent they sent Benjamin because they knew that Joseph loved Benjamin or even Judah. But I'm not sure, you know, we don't know that for sure. But I was, I was just noticing they sent messengers. They didn't all go before him themselves, almost as if they they wanted to bring uh, peace before they went all themselves just to make or sure they, everything was OK. Or they wanted or they were to too start to get out of Dodge. <laughs> right. Someone yeah, says they were they were too scared themselves to to go before him, but they wanted to send somebody. So if it was okay, you know they'd be fine. But if it wasn't, they could get out of there. Yeah, but, you're right. And and I, I read that too. Uh, Benjamin's a good one because he wasn't guilty. He wasn't around when they sold him into uh, when when they sold him to slavery. Benjamin didn't exist at at the time. And then Judah, remember Judah's the one who stayed behind uh, so that they'd bring Benjamin and all that. So. Uh, I think it's a good possibility, but like you said, uh, we don't know. Uh, but you're absolutely right, and uh, I think they were testing the waters before uh, they came in person. Uh, so very good point. Verse 17, it says, Say to Joseph, so this is uh, your father gave this command, Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept and then spoke to them. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. What do you have there, Caden? Well, verse, verse 17, starting there. Um, I have here, well, I guess, verse 17 and 18. Uh, through 18, rather. We talked about the bind of the brothers in verse 15 and 16. How, the swiftly thought, but I have here the the actual action of the brothers verses sixteen through eighteen. What they did, they went to to Joseph and they said, "This is what my father said. This is what he wants you to do for us." And then they even went as far as to saying, "You know, we felt we, they fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants.' So this is this is their their action. These two verses really show their sincereness. Their they are sincere in their repentance. They weren't just trying to say this just to get out of being punished or get out of this. They, You can tell bowing your face to Joseph and saying, we are your servants. That shows that they were sincere. They were not just trying to 
to just trick Joseph or try to try to make try to please him in the way that he won't do this to them. They they meant it. So we saw their minds. This let, their minds let us saw what they would have done. But this shows verses sixteen through eighteen or seventeen and eighteen. This shows that they were truly sorry and that they would do anything to please Joseph. Something interesting that I came across as 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 I was reading this verse eighteen it says, "Behold, we are your servants." Remember what they did to Joseph. They sold him into slavery. So now it's almost as if they are saying, we sold you into slavery. We are sorry for that. Now let us be your servants. Let us serve you since we did that to you. And it's just that's a, just an interesting thought to see that they both were, you know, they wanted to almost be just to Joseph, repay him for what they did to him. By being their servants, but of course, it definitely shows their humility, bowing their face or bowing before his face, which shows that they were sincere and that they were sorry for what they had done. And that's good. And uh, I'm with you. And, and you brought up a thought in there in verse 17 when they they talk about your our father commanded us to say to Joseph, please forgive this transgression. From a humility standpoint, uh, and I think this just lends further credence that, that this is a truthful statement, implies that they've had this conversation with Jacob, which uh, seems to imply that they've sought forgiveness from Jacob for doing what they did uh, initially. And and you look at it from the standpoint of they, they sold his son into slavery and then lied to him about it. Uh, there's some uh, repentance that has to take place there uh, from that standpoint. And I think uh, you're absolutely right in that sense that their actions uh, not only show their their humility, but I think they're implying to Joseph that we've talked to Jacob and we've made it right with with uh, with Jacob uh, by doing so. And this was the result uh, of that conversation. He uh, advised us to that. So very good point uh, from that standpoint. I think you're absolutely right. I think their humility uh, is shown here. Uh, the prophecy that God showed Joseph when uh, essentially Joseph had visions, uh, which is essentially what caused the brothers to hate him. The visions were that they would eventually be bowing down to him. Uh, and here you see it coming to fruition. Uh, now it's already taken place earlier when they were reunited. But here again, you see the prophecy of God uh, fulfilled. I also underline that phrase, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And uh, I think I think the the implication that they think that they they should be concerned about their well being and possibly even Jacob thinking that they should be concerned about their well being I think struck a nerve with Joseph, which I think just talks to his character. I think he had liter- uh, legitimately put it away, uh, and I think it hurt him that he thought that that everyone thought he was going to do something from a, a vindictive standpoint and so uh which obviously brought him to tears you have anything else on 17 and 18 of course just off of what you said you can t- you can see the character of, of joseph that he was compassionate he cared and i see you said it it almost hurt him to think that they would that he they thought he would have done that to them because he didn't want to do that uh but we can see that this confession they haven't they hadn't ever from our understanding from what we've read they haven't 
made this type of confession to, to Joseph yet about what has happened. So them showing this humility, them saying this confession, showing their repentance, showing that they were sorry, it, it touched him. It, it, it made him, you know, feel, feel happy for them that they were able to, you know, almost as they were able to be closer. And we can see this later on as he's going to reassure them even more, just saying, I will take care of you and your family. You know, I, you, I'll, you will be blessed. I'll take care of you. So you see that there. Oh, that's a, that's a good perspective. Cause you know, maybe he's hurt that they think he's going to do something to him. Maybe this is just emotions that, um, that they're, they're clearing the air that, that things are being resolved. Maybe there was an elephant in the room uh, all these years because they haven't, uh, I guess put everything to air and, and, uh, so that's a good thought. Verse 19 says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? What do you have there? Here just, he's, he tries to, to show them, try to make them see, of course, I, I'm in the, I'm in the second most, you know, high position in Egypt right now. But even though I'm in that high of a position, I don't have the power. I don't have the power of God to to punish you justly. God has that power. He is the one that if, if they needed it, he would take care of them. We, we read them in Romans and First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter one, talking about that vengeance is God's it says he will repay. And if they needed that, he would have done it. And it's almost as that's what Joseph is saying. I, if you needed this, then God would, it would be in the place of God to, it would be just for God to do this, but I'm not in the place of God. And it reminds me of what we read in James chapter four, James chapter four, talking about do not chapter four, verses 11 through 12. Do not speak evil one of another brethren. But then during that section, verse 13 says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? James is talking about do not, don't speak evil of another. Don't judge each other. Talking about don't say that I'm in the position to say that you're wrong. I'm in the position to to act justly upon you. Of course, we can show people the truth. We can show them that that they're in error if they are. But we're not in the place to judge them. We're not in the place to say, you are going to, this is going to happen to you. This is, you know, we can't do anything to them. But we can show them that there is someone who can do this to them if they don't change. And that is God. And he says, am I in the place of God? No, he's not. Although he is in a very high position. And we can see this same thing for us. We're not in that position of God. God is going to repay those who do evil against him. It's our, it is our job to show them, to tell those people, you need to obey God because he will take vengeance on you if you do not know him or if you do not obey him. But it's not our responsibility ourselves to do that. Man, that is, that's a great thought that you brought up. Second in Egypt, but still submitting to God. Uh, that's I didn't even think about that until you just brought it up. That's, that's an excellent thought. I've circled verse 19. I've underlined the phrase, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? I circled verse 19, drew an arrow up to verse 16, and circled your father, gave this command before he died. And I think it's interesting there that Joseph is essentially making the point. You're showing, you're seeing the humility of Joseph. Uh, you're seeing that he continues to submit to God's will, despite uh, where he sits as far as a rank is in, in Egypt is concerned. 
Uh, but I just put this note, and he didn't do this on Jacob's account, but on account of, of the true father, the almighty father, talking about God. Uh, and so his actions weren't based on uh, Jacob's plea to forgive his brothers, but his actions were based on the plea of what God, uh, the father, would want. Uh, and I think, again, a testament to uh, God's character. Um and I think he he understood. I put Genesis forty five verse eleven, where uh, essentially Jacob, or I'm sorry, Joseph makes the point that he's here not because of anything. I mean, they they did it, but ultimately the reason he was where he was in Egypt was because it was God's will and God's providential hand that bringing it about. So uh, those are great thoughts. Verse twenty says, "As for you, you meant evil against me." But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Uh, what do you have there? Well, again, we're talking about going back to verses 15 through 18. We saw the mind of the brothers, the action of the brothers. But now we see we're going to see continuing of starting in verse 19 and through 21, the comfort of Joseph. He's going to say, I'm not in the place of God to do this. I'm not going to to re repay you for what the evil you've done against me. But he also shows them that God meant this for good. If, if this wasn't, if this didn't happen, we would all be starving right now. Basically we wouldn't be able to, to live for this famine. It was, it was the will of God, but also he's going to comfort them. He's going to take care of them. And we see at the very end, he comforted them with, with words and he spoke kindly to them. But this, this verse, Verse 20 is would probably be, of course, that the key passage of this chapter, the key verse. If we if we were to do that, we see this is the purpose. All of this land was going through this famine. And he says, you meant it for evil against you, but God meant it for good. And here's why. In order to bring about. As it is this day to save many people alive. And it's true. He saved lots and lots of people. But as I think about this verse, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. A bunch of times people will say uh, in a bad situation, why did God do this? Why did God bring bring this bad thing about? Well, sometimes it's not God that does this. God doesn't bring evil things, but God can turn an evil situation into a good situation. Going to James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, talking about, don't say when you're tempted, I am tempted of God, because God cannot be tempted, and he cannot, he cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he anyone. He doesn't bring bad things. And if we continue to read that verse there, going down to verse 17, this is what God gives. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God gives good things. God gives perfect things. But God also can cause good things to happen in evil situations he doesn't make them happen he doesn't cause evil things to come about but god can make a bad situation into a good one we can think about a situation with a, a child conceived out of wedlock where this was an, a simple situation where this this child was conceived but we see that god can take this sinful situation and he can use it for good, this this man or this woman who was born out of wedlock can become great in the kingdom of God, who can become someone who can spread the gospel, who can grow the borders of the kingdom. And out of that bad situation, God could make something good happen.
So I think that that's what's happening here. Something evil happened, but Joseph is pointing out. He says, you meant this for evil, but God, he turned it into a good situation. He meant it for good in order to save many people alive. And think about how many people he was able to save, how far spread this famine was for all of Egypt and, and Palestine, that whole area where all these people had to come there to be saved, to have nutrients, to have food. So that's what he was trying to show them. God put me in this place so I can do this for these people. Excellent. Um, I'm with you there. That's great illustration as far as uh, you meant it for evil against me. And I think you're absolutely right. I have next to that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, where it says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Sometimes you and I are, are afflicted or we have to face some sort of tribulation for the benefit of someone else. And that's what Joseph essentially did. It's illustrated in, in the life of Joseph. Joseph didn't do anything to deserve what he, in, in any aspect. Joseph, I think I heard it, and, and I think just from a study of it, uh, not to say Joseph never sinned, but we he's the only, one of the only ones in the Old Testament we have that did not sin. Uh, we don't have his sin recorded for us. Not saying he didn't sin. Uh, Jesus is the only one who walked this earth without sin, but uh, we don't have anything recorded as far as David sinned, uh, Abraham sinned, uh, Moses sinned. You see all these great uh, characters throughout Hebrew history, uh, and, and all of them had moments in their life that are recorded for us where they were imperfect. But Joseph is one of those. Uh, we don't have anything uh, from a, a sin standpoint recorded uh, about him. Uh, and I think that's uh, partially because I, perhaps the Holy Spirit through Moses wanted to exemplify the fact that nothing that Joseph did was deserved on his behalf. He was sold into slavery uh, and he didn't deserve that. And then he was thrown in prison because of a lie that Potiphar's wife made, nothing that he did, but he was still thrown in prison. And then he was forgotten uh, at one point. And then he finally got the opportunity to help Pharaoh prepare for it. Uh, and I think that's uh, the reason for that is to, to illustrate or exemplify this point. You meant it for evil against me. Uh, but God meant it for good. Um, and I found it interesting at the end of this passage. It says that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And I looked, I, I was thinking about that statement. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering what that many people should be kept alive is in reference to. Uh, because it sounds like he's making this statement. Many people are going to be kept alive, should be kept alive like they are today and you look at it from the famine standpoint uh, because joseph was able to interpret the dreams with the help of god able to interpret the dreams of pharaoh and during seven uh, abundant years was able to create storehouses and store up as much grain as possible and then when the seven years of famine came uh egypt's wealth uh skyrocketed during that time that's when they really became a world power uh, because they were the only ones who had food. People were coming from all over the world uh, to survive, to get food. Uh, and we, we read about that earlier on, uh, but that's because of Joseph's efforts. And I think he, he's making the point 
that even though you did evil against me, God meant it for good. And people, the world essentially was able to survive this famine because of the, the heinous actions you brought about put me in a position to save us. But I don't, I don't necessarily know if that many people should be kept alive. It's talking about the people that were preserved from the famine. I think right. that as they are today, I think though that's talking about the they there are talking about the people that were preserved for the famine. I think that many should, people should be kept alive is talking about it, humanity from a general standpoint. And I, perhaps Joseph is not referencing the salvation from the famine, but he's referencing the salvation from death. That was promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I think the many people that should be kept alive could possibly be people like you and me because Joseph preserved the seed line of right. Abraham. And in doing so, Jesus was able to come. So I'm, I'm, I wonder how much Joseph knew. I think he possibly did understand to at least some extent that God preserved him not to save the world from a famine, but more to preserve the promise that he made to Abraham. And through doing so, you and I have salvation because of the actions uh, of Joseph and because God preserved the seed line of, of Abraham through Joseph. So I think, I think that phrase that many people should be kept alive is a little deeper than maybe it, it looks on the surface. You have anything else on verse 20? Well, that's, that's a great point. That is, that's an amazing thought. Something I had, I didn't think about that. We're talking about not only those people in that day, but up to, you know, saving them, saving people today spiritually, because if it wasn't for that, that line, if Jesus wasn't able to come through the line of, of Abraham and his offspring, then we wouldn't be able to have that spiritual life that we read about. 100%. That's a great point. But also thinking about this as we were talking, this came into my mind that, of course, going back to the evil situations, evil things that happen, God can turn them into good. But it's something I hadn't thought about till just now. We still have to put in the work to make it good. Mm -hmm. Joseph, Joseph didn't get sold into slavery and then just did nothing. Just And God said, okay, you, here you are, everything on a silver platter. He had to go through more evil and more evil he had to he he would rise up he would be high in potiphar's house and then he would get lowered and put into jail then he would rise up again he had to work at these places he worked he was a servant after all he was a slave and so these evil situations can happen to us god can put us and take these evil, evil situations and and turn them into good situations but it's our job to work with them work at them and make them good Joseph had to work for those seven years to store up that the grain mm -hmm. before the famine happened. So God gave them the opportunity to turn it into a good situation. And Joseph had to actually do it, putting in the work. Great point. So, You're absolutely right. Joseph, uh, God meant it for good, but Joseph did have to persevere. Uh, there was still some affliction that he had to keep. He had to continue to remain loyal throughout so uh, excellent excellent point verse 21 so do not fear this is joseph speaking so do not fear i will provide for you and your little ones thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them what do you have there just thinking about this whole section we just talked about but ending in verse 21 
the character of Joseph. And I, I was reading the Memphis School of Preaching Lectureship book, 2001, talking about the study through Genesis. There was one lecture in there that was on Joseph, the type of Christ or the type of Jesus. We can see that you mentioned just a moment ago how no sin of Joseph is recorded. So almost that way we can see how, in a sense, he is a type of Christ that way where no sin of Joseph is recorded. And we know that our Lord had no sin at all. Mm-hmm. But this lecture pointed out all these many, many differences, or not differences, similarities, trying to say. These many, many similarities between Joseph and Christ, talking about how he was loved by the Father. Jesus was loved by the Father and going on how Jesus had to suffer through this world. These these people in the world caused him this, this grief and Joseph the same with his brothers. But it ended up being where we can see that Jesus has given this way of salvation, this way of our lives being saved. In the same way with Joseph, in the physical sense, Joseph gave this way of salvation, this way of people being saved physically with food. But we can see this. Joseph was treated by awful by his brothers, but he forgave them. Jesus was treated awful by those who, who crucified him, by, by the Pharisees, by the scribes, by those who tried to test him and trick him. He was treated awfully by them, but he forgave them. He was treated awful being put on the cross, but remember what he says as he was being nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You can see that this same idea is here in verse verse 21. Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. Well, he was able to do that for his brothers, for their families. But the Lord is able to do that for us through his sacrifice, through what he did for us. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He he wanted to show them, you know, I'm I'm your brother. I love you. I am going to care for you. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. And he, he he showed his his character that he was one who didn't want to take revenge. He didn't want to take justice upon them. But he wanted to take care of them. We could see the same thing in the way that the Christ is. Our sin is just enough to for him to punish us immediately. The first time we sin, we could be taken out of this world, and it would be just. It would be right and it would be fair for him to do so. But instead, he gives us an alternative. He gives us an, us an option, a way, a way to be saved through his grace if we obey him, if we obey what he has told us to do. Instead of him repaying us for the things that we have done, he comforts us, and he he speaks kindly to us. So just looking at the similarities there between Joseph and, and the Lord, just interesting to see that, that we had that same opportunity to be taken care of, to be provided for if we obey him, if we follow his commands. Excellent point. Excellent. And I'm glad you brought up that that shadow or that type anti-type relationship uh, with Christ, because when we look at it from that perspective, and, and I do think you're 100 percent right. I've circled that word I, uh, and I just put Christ-like action. Uh, And then you have the golden rule here uh, as well, because he could have done what the brothers thought he would do. The iron rule, he could have punished them uh, for what they did many years before. Uh, He could have even adopted the silver silver 
rule where uh, essentially he's not going to do anything negative to them, but he's not going to help them either. In other words, he could have left them. You go tend to yourself. Just don't talk to me. I'm going to keep living up here and uh, in the palace in, in luxury and, and just you know, we'll act like we never met each other. Mm-hmm. That's the silver rule. But he says, I will provide for you and your little ones uh, taking on uh, the responsibility of, of provisions for them. Uh, being the goal, he didn't have to, but he went uh, beyond that. Um, I've, um, I've I've put an asterisk next to verse nineteen, and at the bottom of my Bible, I just put this threefold pinnacle of faith, verses nineteen through twenty-one. In verse twenty-one, uh, we see that that Joseph left justice of wrongdoing to God, uh, and like you mentioned earlier, Romans twelve and verse nineteen, First Thessalonians five fifteen. First Peter four nineteen, uh, vengeance of mine, uh, said the Lord, I will repay. And so, um, from a, a vengeful standpoint, let God deal with the judgment uh, portion of of the wrongdoing. Uh, number two, verse twenty says, uh, Joseph looked for God's providence in man's malice. Uh, Genesis forty five verses five to eleven, and I put First Peter two twenty four, and uh, alluding to what you talk about the heinous actions of the cross. But you look at you look through the heinous actions of what man did to Jesus by putting him on the cross, and you look at the fact that that was part of God's plan, and redemption comes through it. Uh, just as no uh, Moses, or I'm sorry, Joseph was able to look at the actions of his brother, and even though they were heinous actions against him. He looked past those actions and saw the good that God brought about of it and, and, and that he resided himself to the fact uh, that God put him there for that purpose. And then verse 21, uh, repay evil with forgiveness and practical good. Luke 6, 20, uh, 6 and verse 27, 1 Peter 3, 9, and then Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 43, uh, love your enemies and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, and that's what Joseph did. And, and I appreciate again you bringing up the fact that the antitype uh, relation, the typical relationship between Joseph and and Christ, because when we look at this portion, verses fifteen through twenty-one, with that lens that Joseph is a type of Jesus, then we come to the realization that you and I are in the position of the brothers. Uh, and 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 you make a great point. We've sinned, and 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 from a a fair, righteous, just standpoint, one sin justifies that we be taken out of this earth uh, forever. Uh, but there is a a alternative that has been provided for us. The grace and the mercy of God provides for us that alternative. And again, you look at it from the standpoint uh, of the brothers. Uh, there's humility involved. Uh, they fell down before him uh, and and submitted themselves to Joseph. And I think there's a there's a correlation between us. And, and that's right. submission. I mean, the grace and mercy of God has been provided. But then we have a responsibility, like you mentioned earlier, from Joseph's perspective, there's a responsibility on us to submit ourselves to that grace and mercy. And part of it is is doing everything God has required in order to take hold of that grace and mercy. And so, uh, excellent, excellent point there. And and I, I appreciate that perspective because, uh, again, you start to look at Joseph as a uh, typification of Jesus. Then you start to realize that the brothers 
are a typification of you and me. Uh, and it's a humbling, mm. humbling thought. It's also a comforting thought because you see how Joseph treats his brothers uh, and you right. see how Christ treats us today. So excellent thought. You have anything else? Well, yeah, just based off of what you just said, talking about the way that they acted, their their humility, and um, sharing that or, or looking at that through the lenses of, of us being the brothers and, and Joseph being equal to to Christ, we're in that same type of thing. But remember, look in verse, it is 18. They show their humility, but also they showed it by bowing before him. They they fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. This is something that, that we should do. We should say to our Lord, we should bow to him. We should be humble to him and we should be his servants. We should obey him and do what he has told us to do. So I think that's something interesting as well to think about. We are his servants. And what is what's our responsibility as Christians to serve him, to to be servants of him, slaves to him? But remember Romans chapter 6, when we're, when we're slaves, when we're servants of righteousness, slaves to God, we're really free. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're, we're set free. Man, that is a great way to close this out. Thank you, Caden, for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate your thoughts. Uh, definitely giving me more to think about. Um, and, you know, I studied, you know, I studied this in school. I've studied this uh, for sermons. Um, and then I studied this uh, just now uh, to prepare for this podcast. And then as you and I go through this study, even more stuff pops out. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, those who are listening, thank you uh, for your support. Like, share, subscribe, pass this on to your friends, uh, and come back next week for a new episode. Uh, and as usual, thank you, and we're out.